It's time to put on your sleuthing cap, feel nail-biting dread, and face heart-racing fear. This is Queer Writers of Crime, where you'll get book recommendations and hear interviews with LGBTQ authors of mystery, suspense, and thriller novels. Here's your host, Brad Shreve. Hey, Brad. Hey, Justine. It's good to have you back. Thanks. Glad to be here. This is, uh, I think this is your June recommendation. This is my June recommendation. And and I hope it's something good. Oh, yeah, because I, I review bad books all the time. I know, you know, sometimes you fake it. I've heard you sometimes say this book really sucks, but I'm going to do it anyway. You say that all yeah, the time. Yeah, no. Everybody knows that and I am these kidding. are my five stars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Justine is very picky. So good. We know it's going to be some good ones. What, what are you going to talk about today? Well, I'm not picky about what I read, but I'm picky about what I review and recommend. So, yes, this book is The Many Half-Lives of Sam Sylvester by Meyer McGregor. It's a young adult novel. And be prepared for a bit of culture shock. The I expected the children to all be the ages of, my, you know, young enough to be my kids. And it turns out the parents are young enough to be my kids. So if you're our age and many of our listeners are of that age, be ready. This book it really appeals to everybody. The, the writing is wonderful. The characters are well drawn. Occasionally you come across something by kids who don't know how to use a cassette tape. And that was a little discouraging for me. You know, when we were kids, it seemed to me that we knew how to use the technology of an earlier age. I know that my grandmother would pull out things and and, and try to to trick me. And I would always say, oh, that's a mortar and pestle and this is how you use it. It it always astonishes me when there's something like a a cassette tape that uh, young people don't know how to use it. But that's realistic. Speak of what you will about Ellen. She one day had a teenager come up and they put in front of her a dial phone, a phone book, and a map. Oh, my. And I'll just say for three minutes, she stood there clueless before they finally let her give up. That's amazing. That's amazing. It was scary. She was pushing into the holes of the dial. (laughs) Yeah, it you know, it's it's uh, it's ripe for comedy. So, Sam Sylvester. <laughs> Sam Sylvester is non-binary, autistic, asexual. They were adopted at 7. They had been in foster care for their entire life and they were non-verbal, so obviously no one wanted to adopt them. They were adopted by a single father. And I apologize for my misgendering. I should let people know that I have been known to call my grandson a good girl. So my, my gendering is always a little suspect. And I, I will say the different gendering and using they and them is new for people like our folks. So I fully respect it. But you got to be gentle with it sometimes. It is easy to forget. Well, I always, I always catch myself and... Three words later, I realized the mistake. And and when they were young, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm picturing them at seven. At seven, they were, you know, presenting as a little girl, and their pronouns were she, 
her, and it was only later that they become a them. So they were adopted by a single father. He was a, was, is a black man who is also asexual, and he wanted to raise a child and found them and knew they were for him. And they said their first words months later, and their first words to him were, thank you. I really got hooked into the father-daughter relationship. It is marvelous. He is very supportive. When they end up being, uh, you know, falling into an autistic state, he knows how to bring them back. They're also psychic. So with, with all of this, the internal dialogue seems far more put together and far more self-aware than anything I, I had as a teenager. So they're, they're remarkably interesting. They've got a lot of challenges. The Many Have Lives refers to their journal of children who died before the age of 19. So they record the stories of people they find who had tragic deaths. Wow. Sam, is eight, Sam is 18 and they almost died the year the year before the novel starts they almost died they told uh, their secret to their best friend they were in montana at the time they told their secret to the their best friend and the best friend and this is uh, can hardly speak the words the best friend lured them into the woods with some of her cousins and they attacked sam and nearly killed her wrapped a zip tie around her neck it was a horrific crime sounds terrible it, it wasn't it wasn't clear to me because i because i i had to read kind of with my eyes averted and i didn't always you know skipping through some of the words uh it, it wasn't clear to me whether they had started keeping the journal uh before or after this incident but they really relate to the children who have died in the stories and they're also convinced that they're still destined to die before they're 19, which adds a, a, a layer of dread over the tale. And as they're solving the mystery, I really thought the stakes were high that they would die by the end. You know, you get to the end of these books and you're not promised a happy ending. It's not like, you know, when Angela Lansbury is facing danger at the hands of the killer, you know she's coming back next week. The book has this, this air of mystery about it. I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but you, you, there's, there's a sense that it can go either way. So the father takes Sam around the country. They move to various spots while Sam is homeschooled and the father is looking for an accepting community. They end up in a small town in Oregon and a school which has a Rainbow Island Club. The Rainbow Island Club, I think, is even more, more accepting than the gay-straight alliances uh, that exist in many high schools now. In those, you're either gay or you're straight. You know, sometimes you're bi, but this, this club is for everyone. And when you walk in, there's a basket of stickers with pronouns. You pick up a sticker, which puts your pronouns on you. And they have a they, them sticker, even though there had never been another they, them in the club. And, and Sam feels very comfortable there. And the principal tells Sam and her father, Sam and their father, that 
if anything happens, the principal wants to know immediately. They've got a teacher that is protective of all of the students in that club and is a huge advocate and ally. And it's just a marvelous environment for them. Unfortunately, their secret comes out, and it's not that they're non-binary. The secret is that they were attacked in Montana. And someone reads a file that a teacher left out when the teacher left to get a phone call and reads the file and tells all the other students, and it gets to be a thing. The father wants to leave immediately, and Sam wants to stay there at least to their 19th birthday, knowing that this is probably the end for them. There's a conflict to set up. They move coincidentally into a house where the one of the murdered children in, in the journal has died. Completely a coincidence, but you get the sense that fate is involved. Sam walks into the house and can immediately tell that something is wrong, feels the murdered boy there. He died of a peanut allergy, but Sam suspects murder. Other people suspect murder because how would he have any peanuts around? If you enjoy queer writers of crime, let others know with a review. It helps build an audience and introduce more people to queer crime fiction. Wherever you listen to podcasts, help spread the word to tune in to Queer Writers of Crime. It's a small town, and all of the teachers and all of the parents have gone to school together, and most of them were in the same class as this murdered boy. So everybody ends up being a suspect. Most everybody is uncomfortable talking about it. Sam makes friends. They make friends with a girl next door, Shep who is pansexual. Shep becomes Sam's girlfriend. They have a, a gay friend named Dylan. And then they have Aiden, who is a straight ally. They end up going to the homecoming dance, the four of them, and Aiden goes as Dylan's date. It's a very accepting environment. And by the end, you find out that the students weren't really being uh, lurid in learning about the secret they were trying to be supportive and they were clumsy about it. The house is haunted by the boy and Sam feels at first they go into the house and they can feel the presence of the boy. They know that there's bookshelves behind one wall and they, the, the father and Sam do demo and find the bookshelves are really there. But the presence is strong enough that the other characters eventually feel it. The father starts singing songs that he hadn't sung before, and when they find the cassette tape, it's a mixtape, and those songs are all on the mixtape. Mm, so we have some paranormal. Yes, yes. It's it's got. You know I love those paranormal ad additions to the story. Yes, I do. There was a lot going on here. There were, you know, with the small town and the murder and the uh, attack from Montana coming back, and the non-binary and the autism. And it, it's, a, it's a lot of things to handle, and they're all handled remarkably well. They're given full weight, but they're not, they're not given weight in a way that takes away from this, the mystery and the tale. They end up solving the mystery, and Sam ends up uh, alone with the, the killer. It's it's a good book. It's a, it's a wonderful book. It's well-written. It's riveting. It's a page-turner. It sounds chilling. 
Yeah, no, it is chilling. It's very chilling. And I find that I think about it since then. I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, thinking about Sam and the various other people in the book. The journal is something that haunts me also. It's a very good book, and it's, it's, you know, last year I reviewed a young adult mystery that ends up going on to win the Lambda. I, don't, I think this could win a lot of awards in the coming award season. It is, it is very, very good. I recommend that everybody pick it up. No matter what your taste in books is, uh, I, I think you will like this one. You know, there was a movie, hmm, I'm gonna, I was going to say a few years back, but it was way more than a few years back. I can't think of the name of the movie. It, was, it starred Johnny Depp, mm-hmm. and his son was kidnapped. And he was told if he doesn't kill the senator, they will kill his son. And the senator is played by, I can't remember her name, the, the dark-haired woman from uh, Cagney and Lacey. Oh. Um, and because it dealt with his yeah. son, I, I had to turn it off. I couldn't deal yeah. with it anymore. Because when it comes to kid, I get queasy. I've actually gotten past that now. It still really yeah. bothers me, but I like it for that reason. Yeah. So my, my perspective has changed. Yes, yes. So this sounds good. Because of the paranormal, you can see how, you know, Sam can tell the story even though they may not be alive. Yeah, it sounds good. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. You and you, you and your paranormal. Me and my the paranormal. You know, I get uh, emails from quite a few people that say they like they like the paranormal. So, so you're uh, singing up quite a few people's uh, singing their tune here. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's not it, it it's not it's not so paranormal. You know, they're not really having scary encounters with ghosts jumping out of you, out at you, out at them, and the like. And it, you know, they get they get clues from the journal, and you get clues also from the the presence. The the ghost doesn't really speak. Yeah, you know, Christopher Rice writes quite a bit. He doesn't write like his mother. Uh, he writes paranormal and sci-fi in his stories but they're really more mystery and thrillers uh, they really fall more into that category but they do have these the paranormal yes. and uh, uh yes yes sci-fi part of it this sounds very similar to that yes although it's a it's a young adult novel the tone is very different than christopher rice's books yeah, he has he has a very distinct tone, and the tone is very different than anything else I've read. That's good. That's exciting. And I want to say one more thing about the pronoun thing. And I normally wouldn't bring this up, but it's funny because this just came out last night. I was having a talk with uh, not a, not a drag queen, but a drag queen's agent. And this drag queen, um, as a rule, most drag queens I met prefer to be called he and him. Because they like it made very distinct that they are either a gay or a straight man who likes to do drag shows. So they make it very clear they want to be him and he and him. Aren't you supposed to call them she when they're in drag, but he when they're out of drag? That seems to be the general rule. Okay. This individual, although they identify as non-binary as well as pansexual and is in a polyamorous relationship. Yes. And they don't care mm-hmm. what the circumstances are they go by either he or him or she or her at any time right 
So this is one of those where I would almost think they would choose they and them, which is the most uncomfortable for me because I, I it's really it doesn't flow off the tongue for me yet. Uh, but but I thought it was funny that he or him or she or her is a okay uh, in this to me somewhat complicated uh, gender identity. So. Uh, well, I don't know if you watch Star Trek Discovery, but they have two trans actors. I, I did. I, I kind of got tired of it. But, right, but they uh, have two trans actors. And uh, the the actor who plays Adira goes by they, them. And the actor that goes that plays Gray mm-hmm. goes by both they, them, and he, him. So it really is an individual choice. The only uh, familiar queer individuals that I was familiar with Discovery before I stopped watching was uh wilson cruz and anthony rapp and i love their relationship uh and then there was there is the uh the mechanic uh tig nadaro i think she identifies as lesbian yes yes yeah she identifies as lesbian i believe so now i didn't know that they had two other queer characters yeah they have two other queer characters um tig nadaro tig nadaro does stand-up comedy um i like her quite a bit and I have a lot of trouble remembering her character because it just seems to me that it's just Tignataro showing up on uh, on Discovery because she's really kind of playing the same kind of character that she is in real life. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to do that disconnect. Uh, you know, Darren Chris I remember is Blaine on Glee, and then when he played uh, Andrew Kanan in. Uh, can't think of the director's name, but the the Netflix movie about Versace. Uh, when it first came on, I thought, oh, God, I'm watching Blaine. And after about halfway through the second episode, he morphed away from Blaine and did this outstanding job of being very creepy as Kunanen. Yeah. Like, very creepy. He did a brilliant job. Yeah. So I got past that. But back to this book. It sounds really good. Let's give us the name again and the author. The Many Half-Lived Lives of Sam Sylvester. And it's by Maya McGregor. Maya is also a they, them. Very good. All right. Well, we'll see what you have coming up in July. Sounds good. See you then. Thank you, Justine. And have a good month. Thanks. Happy, Happy Pride Month. Thank you. Happy Pride Month to you.